Would you take your copy of God's Word and open it to the little book of Jonah near the end of the Old Testament as we are continuing in a series of messages entitled Jonah, the Diary of a Backslidden Preacher. Today's message is up from the bottom. We will be in chapter 2 this morning. So I want you to listen attentively to the Word of God as we look at this passage of Scripture. Someone has said it is lonely at the top. Perhaps that is true. But I contend it is even lonelier at the bottom. What is the bottom you ask? Well, I am glad you did ask because I want to tell you. Listen carefully. When you willfully disobey God, you begin your descent into the darkness of spiritual defeat. Your joy and hope turn to despair and hopelessness. You feel encompassed by fear as the cold, clammy hands of death take hold of you. Your road of rebellion against God comes to a dead end. Then you realize that you have hit the bottom. Jonah was a backslidden preacher running from God. His assignment was to go to Nineveh and preach to the wicked people in that city, telling them of God's coming judgment unless they repented. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Since the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel, Jonah simply did not want to go there to preach. He did not want them to repent. He wanted them to experience the judgment of God because of all the pain they had caused him personally and his nation. So in order to avoid God's will, he got into a boat and headed for Tarshish. He sailed right into a storm. The situation had become so violent that the sailors finally had to throw him overboard. God appointed a great fish to come and swallow Jonah. And while in the belly of this great sea creature, he turned once again to God for help. As we read this diary of this backslidden preacher, we discover that God brought difficulty into Jonah's life so that he would accept God's will. God has allowed, God had allowed him to hit the bottom so that he could lift him up. I wonder this morning, are you facing a difficulty in your life? Are you going through a storm that has been caused by your own rebellion? Has your disobedience to God led to disaster in your life? Now, it could be that you're saying, well, you know, I'm not really where I need to be with the Lord, but things seem to be going fine with me. I have no trouble. Friend, if you're walking in disobedience to God and you're not in a storm, one of two things will happen to you. Either you are going to go into a storm because God is not going to allow your disobedience to go without his discipline. Or two, 
you're going to discover somewhere along the way that you don't even know God at all. Because God does not discipline those children that are not his. So if you're here in a storm caused by your own bad decisions, I want you to know that there is hope. We can see what Jonah experienced and we can learn some lessons from it. So what I want us to do this morning as we look into chapter 2 is to see the process that God used to bring Jonah up out of the bottom and put him back to where he needed to be. So let's begin to look at this passage of Scripture this morning. And we see, first of all, the crisis of Jonah. Look in verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. Here is Jonah praying during his crisis. Now, notice with me, Jonah did not have to go to a prayer seminar. He didn't need to go to the Lifeway Christian Bookstore to find a book on prayer or listen to a series of sermons on prayer. Now, I'm all for prayer being promoted through books and conferences and sermon series. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like a crisis that can teach you how to pray. And that's what Jonah is experiencing. Before this moment, he was in rebellion. Before this disaster struck, he was running from God. He was even sound asleep in the midst of the storm because he was completely exhausted. But yet he was not looking to the Lord. But now that he's been thrown overboard... Swallowed by this great fish, all of a sudden he thinks it's time to pray. And he begins to cry out to the Lord. So this is his, this is his response to the crisis. And I would say to you that if you're in a crisis, that's what you need to be doing. You need to be praying. You need to call upon the name of the Lord. Seek his face. When I go through times of difficulty, one of the first things I try to do is say, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? If you are, I want you to know your servant is listening. That's a great prayer to pray when you go into a crisis. But I would add, it's even better that you're praying before the crisis. Stay in touch with God. Don't get disconnected in your fellowship with Him. Stay focused on Him so you don't go into the crisis. But here is Jonah in the midst of a crisis and he's praying. Notice the place of the crisis. Verse 1 says he's praying from the stomach of the fish. Now someone will say, well, pastor, do you really believe, do you really believe that this great fish swallowed Jonah? Friend, if the Bible said Jonah had swallowed the great fish, I would believe it. Because the Bible says it. Now listen to me. If God is capable of speaking the universe into existence and sustaining life as we know it and keeping everything in order the way he does, do you think it's very hard for him to commission a fish to swallow Jonah and protect him in the belly of that fish in a miraculous way until he delivers him where he wants him to go? It's not hard at all. So here is Jonah now in the belly of this great Fish, and he realizes he is in a serious dilemma. He knows that unless God intervenes, he is going to die. This is a situation of anguish. He's in complete despair. He's facing such a massive crisis in his life. The only thing he has 
left to do that he can do is pray. And that's exactly what he does. He calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, Jonah was a stubborn man. It took him reaching the bottom before he started looking up. Friend, it doesn't have to be that way with us. We shouldn't have to crash before we see our need for the Lord. We need to have a close fellow fellowship with him at all times. And stop being so stubborn and listen to what he has to say. My parents used to have a saying. They would say, uh, especially when, uh, especially my older sisters would get somewhat stubborn. Of course, I would never do such a thing. No, they said this to me as well. They had this little saying. They said, some people, has, some people have to butt with their own heads. And I thought, well, what, is, what are they trying to say? What they, were, what they were essentially saying was this. Learn from other people's mistakes. Don't follow the same pathway of those who are walking in disobedience to God or in rebellion. You can avoid some problems in your life if you'll listen to wise counsel. Jonah learned a valuable lesson on this trip that we don't have to repeat. We need to watch. We need to see. We need to hear what happened so that we can avoid the same dilemma, the crisis that Jonah faced. But secondly, I want you to see the cry of Jonah. Look in verse 2 here. We see the distress in his cry. The Bible says, and he said, speaking of Jonah, I called out in my distress to the Lord and he answered me. You have to understand the situation that Jonah was in was absolutely devastating. He was filled with anguish. He was filled with Dread and fear. He was encompassed by this overwhelming stress. Knowing that he was staring death in the face. It was only a matter of time and he was going to succumb. But in the midst of all that despair, he cries out to the Lord for help. And the Bible says, God heard him. Listen to me. God does not have to listen to us when we pray. Now, he knows we're praying, but but God does not always listen in the sense that when we're in rebellion against him, he will not respond to our prayers. The Bible says, if we hide iniquity in our hearts, God will not hear our prayers. That is, he will not respond to us when we call upon him. But you'll find here in Jonah's life, when Jonah began to see his need for the Lord and cry out to God, God heard his prayer because he noted that Jonah's heart was beginning to change. Friend, God wants to respond to your prayer and my prayer as well, but we have to pray from a sincere heart. With a desire to see change occur in our lives. So we see the distress in his cry. Also notice the depth of his cry. Verse 2. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. The word Sheol here is sometimes translated hell in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there are a number of words that from the both Greek and Hebrew 
that are translated into our English word hell. This is one example. The word sheol here is referencing the grave. What Jonah was saying is that I was as good as dead. There was no hope for me. It was a complete disaster. It was only a matter of time until my life was taken from me. It was at that point that I cried out to God and he heard my cry. So this is the depth of Jonah's cry. It was coming deep from within him and deep from within the very sea itself. Then notice the desperation of his cry, verse 3. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Oh, what desperation he felt when he was thrown out of that boat into the raging sea, and the billows were washing over him. He was struggling to stay on top of the water, trying to get his breath, but he was sinking down into the sea. And he realized that he was a goner. There was no hope for him because the only hope he really had, apart from God, was that vessel that was now leaving him behind. Out in the middle of the sea, and all you could could visually see would be water surrounding you you're being pulled underneath by the current you're exhausted and you realize that your time has come it's all over now those of you who are parents you know the cry of your children don't you as a matter of fact you know children cry first of all and that true if you don't know that if you're a new parent you will learn really quickly that they love to cry but it isn't it Isn't it interesting how you can hear your baby cry and you know it's your baby. Isn't that true? You can hear that cry and distinguish the cry of your child from other children crying. And you not only can distinguish their cry, you know why they're crying. You know if it's a cry for attention or if it's a cry of pain. You know because you know your child and you hear their cry. God hears our cry. He knows why we're crying. He knows what we need before we even know ourselves. And when we cry out to God from a sincere, honest heart, I'm telling you, God will hear our cry. Just as he heard the cry of Jonah so long ago. Now we've talked about the crisis in Jonah's life. We've talked about his cry of despair in the midst of that crisis. Now let's look at the change in Jonah. There's a change that is happening. And I I want you to know if you're here and you're, you're not walking with the Lord in obedience, I want you to see what happens here in Jonah's life because this is a pathway for you to get back to where you need to be with God. Take these steps and you too can experience a revival in your own heart and life just the way Jonah did. Now look with me if you would. Jonah refocused his attention on God. And this refocused attention brought about change in his life. Verse 4 tells about it. 
So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. He says, Lord, you have thrown me overboard into the sea. Because I was running from you. I was trying to get away from Jerusalem, from the temple. Because that's where your manifest presence is expressed. But in the midst of my adversity, you have heard me cry out to you. All the way back in Jerusalem where the holy temple is. Now, I want you to listen carefully because what I'm about to tell you is very important to your life personally as a New Testament believer. You need to understand that in that day, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not come and live within every believer. That did not happen. The Holy Spirit will come and descend upon a person for a particular task. But as New Testament believers now, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. God the Father gives us the person of of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit to live within us. The, The presence of Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us at the moment of salvation. Friend, that's good news. That's good enough to make a Baptist want to shout, I'm telling you. To know that God is living inside of us. It was not that way in the Old Testament. In order to experience the the real power of God's presence, they would go to the temple in Jerusalem. Before that, the tabernacle in the wilderness. So when, when he left Jerusalem... It was not that God was not aware where he was or what he was doing. It was just simply that that temple was so significant for the Jews because that's where they experienced God's presence, his manifest presence. That's where they sacrificed. That's where they worshiped in that temple. He's a long way from the temple. But yet he says, God, you've heard my cry even in the holy temple. Now, when you consider those who lived in that day who were idolatrous, their idea was that they had a God for every location. Their gods were territorial. If they had an idol, it may work in Jerusalem, but once they left Jerusalem, they had to find another idol that was associated with that location, and they'd worship it. Here we see insight into Jonah When he says, Lord, you heard me all the way in Jerusalem from your holy temple. He was speaking about God's ever presence, his all presence. He is omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. And here Jonah is recognizing that and he's refocusing his attention on God. He's looking up. Friend, when you get on the bottom of life, you have nowhere else to look. And as bad as the bottom is, sometimes that's the best place you can be. That's where you need to be because that's when you begin to look up and say, God, help me. Many of us are so prideful, we won't look to God until we run into a severe crisis. Isn't that a shame? And that's where Jonah finds himself. He is refocusing his attention on the Lord. And I would say, listen to me, there are some of you here this morning and you need to refocus your attention on the Lord. 
You need to redirect your gaze upon him because you've been distracted. Something has stolen your attention from God and your devotion to the Lord has waned. Your faithfulness to the Lord is now in question. And here you are in a church service on a Sunday morning and the Lord is trying to get your attention through this preacher to speak to your very heart that it's time for you to come home. It's time for you to get right. It's time for you to refocus so that change can occur in your life. Don't be like Jonah and say, Lord, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to make my own decisions. Friend, I'm telling you, that is a dead-end street. You don't want to go there. Refocus your attention on the Lord. And then notice this refocus turns to rescue. He was rescued to change. God rescued him to change his direction. And we read about it now in verses 5 and following. Notice this descriptive poem that he is writing here in his diary about what has happened to him. He says, water encompassed me to the point of death. Have you ever been swimming and you you were going under, maybe you were tired and you you started coughing because you got water in your nose and your your you swallowed some of it and you started gagging and coughing and trying to gasp for breath. Many of us have been in situations like that. Can you imagine being out in the midst of the sea and that happening? That's what Jonah was experiencing. He says, the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, seaweed. All around his head, all over his body. He felt like he was in a net. He couldn't get out. Verse 6, I descended to the roots of the mountains. That is, I was at the very bottom of the bottom. The bottom of the sea. The earth with its bars was around me forever. That is, he was closed in. He had no way out. No way of escape. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He's saying, Lord, you delivered me from the grave. You brought me up out of the very depths. You brought me up from the bottom. Oh, Lord, my God. Can't you tell he's refocused? Verse 7, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple. Again, he references that holy temple. And by the way, in chapter 1, verse 3, you see where he's trying his best to get away from that holy temple. Now he would love to be back in that temple. In the very presence of the Lord. But he calls upon the Lord here and the Lord rescued him. The Lord brought him up out of the depths. Brought him up from the bottom and put him where he needed to be. So we see refocus. We see rescue. Now now look in verses 8 and 9. You see renewed with change. He's being renewed. Let me read about it in verse 8. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. 
That is, if you have something, listen, if you have something in your life that's more important than God, it gets more attention than God, it gets your resources more than God, your time more than God, I'm telling you, that is an idol. It is an idol. And I've learned a long time ago that God has no rivals. The Bible says, God himself said, I am a jealous God. He is not going to tolerate idolatry in our lives. You say, well, pastor, we live in the United States. We don't have any idols here. Folks, our lives are filled with idols. And I'm saying this time we get rid of them because just as Jonah says here in this passage, that when you cling to idols, you lose your faithfulness to God. God will not tolerate second place. He will not tolerate any rivals. We must remove all false gods from our lives. Then look in verse 9. He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Friend, this is a new attitude. This is a new direction. This is a new start. This is a renewed Emphasis on worship. He's saying, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I want to sacrifice to you. I want to acknowledge that you're God. And I'm to obey you. What you say, Lord. Then notice, he's recommitted because of this change. The second part of verse 9, he says, That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm going to keep my promise to you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to serve you. Because you saved me. You delivered me. He knows that he has reconnected with the Lord. You know what this is called? Friend, this is called revival. This is what real revival is. Now, you might have been under the impression that revival is when we schedule someone to come and preach down at the church house for a few days, and we call it revival. That may or may not involve revival. True revival occurs when we realize we have sinned against God, and we turn from that sin and begin to follow God in repentance. Have you ever been driving somewhere and you get off on the wrong road. Now, back in the olden days, we'd have these atlases, remember? And before you go on a trip, you'd kind of figure out where you were supposed to turn and all that kind of thing. It was very easy to get off track. And when you got off track, you know what you have to do? Pull on the side of the road and get your atlas out, this big bundle of maps And try to figure out where you went wrong so you get back on the right road. Now it's easy, right? The GPS. We're told what to do. We're told where we went wrong. And we're rerouted to get back on the right road if we make a wrong turn. Friend, that's what we're learning in this passage this morning. Is that when we get off on the wrong road, spiritually speaking... God wants to reroute us and get us back to where we need to be. And when we get back on the right road and begin to walk with God again, we have joy in our hearts 
because we are right with the Lord. We've been cleansed from our sins. We're heading in the right direction. We have a whole new outlook on life. And that's what some of you need this morning. You're struggling. And you find yourself here this morning and perhaps you're wondering, is there any hope for my life? Have I gone too far? Have I ignored God too long? What's going to happen to me? What's going to be the end of this? I want you to know you can settle that issue this morning by simply acknowledging your sinfulness as a believer. And turn in repentance. Turn from the way you're going. Get back on track spiritually. Have a spiritual renewal in your heart. A revival in your soul. Friend, every born again believer at some point in his or her life will need that type of experience. We all get spiritually dry every now and then. We all make a wrong turn every now and then. And we need to be rerouted and get back to where God would have us to be. That's the type of change that Jonah experienced. And that's what you can experience. Aren't you tired of living the way you're living if you're in that condition? There's no hope in that direction. It's a dead-end street. Now, we've looked at the crisis in Jonah's life, the cry that Jonah gave out. We, we see the change in Jonah's life, but then notice finally the course for Jonah. God has established a new direction for him. We see it in verse 10. It is a commanded course. For the Bible says here, then the Lord commanded the fish. The Lord used this sea creature to swallow up Jonah for three days and three nights to redirect him. So it is a commanded course. And now the course is being set not by Jonah, but by God himself. Not only is it a commanded course, it is a corrected course, for it goes on and says, and this fish vomited Jonah up onto dry land. This fish could not even stand a backslidden preacher in his stomach. (laughs) By the way, after he was removed from the stomach of this Fish, I would imagine Jonah never ate, ate fish again. I, I would just su- suspect that is true. But it was a course correction. Now Jonah is back on track. He can look back and see this dilemma, this hardship, this disaster that he's experienced because of his rebellion, his disobedience. But now... He's back to where he needs to be. He's right back to where he can pursue the will of God again. A course correction. And again, that's where some of us need to go this morning. In the early morning hours of April 15, 1912, the ship known as the Titanic sank after striking an iceberg. Only 330 bodies of the 1,200 people who perished were ever found. 
Throughout the years, efforts were made to locate and raise this massive ship. On September the 1st, 1985, the Titanic was finally located. With the advancement of technology, some have successfully retrieved items from the ship's debris and filmed some amazing footage of the wreckage. However, to this day, no one has been able to successfully raise the Titanic from the bottom of the ocean. Is your life like the Titanic in that it lies broken at the bottom of the ocean of disobedience? If so, I want you to know that God's arm is long enough to reach down to the bottom and pull you up out and put your feet on some solid ground. You say, well, pastor, you just don't know what I've done. You don't understand how great my sin is. No matter what your sin is, God's grace is greater. No matter what you've done, God stands ready to forgive you and restore you if you look to him. Many of you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced that firsthand in your own life. And you're sitting here as a testament today of God's grace. God wants to change you. God wants to restore you. God wants to set you in a completely different direction of obedience. Will you experience that change? Will you bow your heads for prayer? This is a very important time as you have heard the word of God and now it's your responsibility to respond. If you're here this morning, I'm talking to believers now, if you're a Christian... And you're not walking with the Lord. You know that there's disobedience in your life. You're running from God. Friend, I want you to know that is not who you really are. God did not save you to act that way. He did not save you to think that way. You're a different person than you used to be. God wants to bring you up out of the bottom of your own sin and restore you. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you have to do the same thing that Jonah did. You have to cry out to him and say, Lord, I'm wrong. Lord, I have sinned and I want to turn back to you. I want to turn from my sin and walk in obedience. And I'm asking you, Lord, to restore me. To renew me. To revive me. In the closing minutes of this morning's service. If you find yourself in that condition. Would you right now just call upon the name of the Lord. We sing this invitation song in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to step out. From the belly of that great fish. That you find yourself in. And come and fall on this altar up here as an expression of sincerity and humility before the Lord.
And ask God to bring restoration to your life. If you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, here's what you need to do. You need to acknowledge to the Lord that you're a sinner. And that Jesus is the sinless Savior who died for you and rose again that you might be forgiven. And you ask Christ to cleanse you with the blood of Jesus, with his own precious blood. You commit your life to Jesus by faith. And in doing that, you receive the free gift of salvation. You can't work for it, but it's free if you will receive it by faith. This altar is available for you as well. And I'm here standing ready to talk with you should you need it. Maybe you're a Christian and the Lord has laid upon your heart to come here to this fellowship and join this church. God wants to do some incredible things through you and through this assembly. You come this morning and simply say, I want to become a member here at First Baptist and I'll help you. Some need to be baptized. You're a Christian, but you've never been baptized. Obey the Lord in baptism. It'll be a tremendous blessing to you. You come with that request, we will schedule a baptism for you. However the Lord is speaking to your heart, as we stand now and begin to sing, you come wherever you're seated on the balcony or in the back. We're here to receive you. You begin to come as the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning.